1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to Episode 258 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon. Your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, 2nd Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and even on Spotify, as well as right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Kerlman, and with me like a precious gemstone sitting around, but there when you need him, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane.
0: You know, several precious gemstones, like diamonds, are created under intense pressure, and I feel like that has been my life lately.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Under pressure, coming down yeah you know that i felt that was that was fitting because we also got that character geode in this and then your background gems and and awesome cool rocks and stuff i was like you know this is like this is jim's intro yeah (laughs) geode
0: is um the undiscovered gem in my life
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yes star wars beyond the films we ask the tough questions questions that bother you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on you ponder about star wars and so do we this episode we discuss claudia gray's newest addition to the canon star wars universe star wars the high republic into the dark now before we get too deep into spoiler territory we'll give you a quick spoiler free rundown just be sure to jump off at tarkin's arrogance Everyone who hears the call to adventure wants to answer it. Jedi Padawan Wreith Cellus loves adventure, reading about it, that is, not living it. Content to spend hours browsing the Jedi archives on Coruscant, Wreath dreams of being one of the greatest scholars of the Jedi Order. But Wreath's master, the well-respected and virtuous Jedi Malawi, has other plans. She's taken a post at Starlight Beacon, the Republic's shining outpost at the edge of known space. As Padawan, Wreath must join her, whether he likes the idea or not, and he most definitely does not. So Wreath reluctantly aboards the ship that will take him and a few other Jedi to the dedication of Starlight Beacon where Master Jorah awaits for him to start their new adventurous life on the frontier. But trouble in hyperspace leaves the ship and other nearby vessels stranded with only an eerie abandoned space station reachable for shelter, and the secrets hidden there will not only bring Wreath to a crossroads, but if left unchecked, could plunge the entire galaxy into darkness. That's heavy.
0: (laughs) I think um, you had mentioned this when we were talking about uh, Light of the Jedi, where the Nile you were feeling like the big bad guys um, from that, that book weren't Everything that you they, they had been claiming, like their, their overall, like these are the, the guys that are challenging the force. But I think the bad guys, I, I don't want to talk like name them in our spoil free section just because, uh, um, leave that as a, a mystery for right now because I, once you know, you can't unknow. Um, but I think the big bad guys <laughs> in here who actually extend into the High Republic comic series, um, I think those have a wider ranging effect than the Nile um, at this point in our, in the publishing line. Right.
1: Right. In fact, and and that's the, the opening crawl that they're putting even in this book and stuff. Uh, every one of them has the same generic one and it ends with the, you know, uh, so the frightened new ad- or uh, so does a frightening new adversary. Now the guardians of peace and justice must face a threat to themselves, the galaxy and the force itself. And, and I, I agree when uh, the, big bad of this comes forward and it's hard to say big bad because there's there's kind of like two bads the Nile are still there and they're also still a threat but I feel like this new big bad is like even a threat to them it's like like oh snap like this is definitely something you don't want to turn your back on (laughs) yeah and that actually comes
0: up in the book as being a threat to the Nile
1: right Oh, that was one of the things I did enjoy the most about this is because of the location uh, where they end up being on on the space station. And this isn't Starlight Beacon. This is like some old way station that's been lost and forgotten about in the wilds of space. Like they only stumble on it at, on accident after all the hyperspace stuff's going down. But the more they learned about the station, the more I learned about the older Old Republic and, and things and because the station's uh, from a, a species called the Maxis, I believe is what it was. It's a Maxis. A Maxine. Yeah, and, and and the more that Reith find out about them, the more interested I got about what their culture was like and stuff. And like they were known for like their scouts would just show up on a planet, and then all of a sudden the entire freaking uh, army would show up and just rad the the world would get raised to the ground and stuff. It's like, ooh, dude, these guys definitely sound like a threat in and of themselves, but. They're long gone. Like all we see of them is just the remnants of their culture. They're kind of like the Roman empire in a sense. Um, So, so I found that was interesting and how they like tied in those little historical events about how the station got there and what the station's being used for and why this new threat is interested in the station And how the new threat got there, I think that was also something that was intriguing to me. Because they brought the Sith in. Like, the Sith are mentioned again. Like, these first three books in this era have done a lot for us in our knowledge of the Sith. Our concrete knowledge of the Sith, I should say. Because up until this point, all we've known is that there's a rule of two. And we've got Bane. And there was, like, the Hundred-Year Darkness... Very vague concepts, but not a lot concrete until now. So I'm, I'm getting a kick at all those little things they drop in books like this, just subtly off to the side. Yeah,
0: actually, also um, the recent—I guess not the recent—the first book in the Thrawn, uh, the the Thrawn Ascendancy uh, trilogy—had a lot to do with the Sith as well. And um, they, well, the book didn't, but they dropped a lot of information about the Sith that we didn't know about, and how the the Chiss were associated with the the Sith at one point. And so, like it, they they really are like pumping a lot of the the ancient Sith lore back into the new canon. So let's uh, let's kind of give an overview of where this book falls. So, like you said, this is part of the High Republic series it is the third book released where light of the light of the jedi and um i'm blanking on the name of the the other book uh test of courage yeah test of courage both of those were released in january of this year 2021 uh this book was released one month later this is the third book in the the series and it was marketed as a quote young adult book but as we know from previous experiences their young adult books i think are more just a way to get around the copyright laws that Delray kind of has under adult books. Um, because the, these young adult books really don't feel any different
1: than the adult books from Delray. I, I would say that the biggest thing is the weight, like the book's a little bit smaller than a Delray book, but not as small as the young readers or the other young middle readers middle like, grade, literally it, like the third step. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's,
0: it, it is, they, they
1: are, but even then, like some of them are super long. Mm hmm. Right, that's where they definitely feel like they're more an adult topic. Because, like, you give a kid, you know, even a, a younger teenage kid, a bigger, thick book. They're like, well, I ain't reading that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like they have older books that, you know, the kids get the older ones. They're like, dude, this book is huge. It's going to be an adventure. Yeah, so
0: it's, like, definitely, like, young adult. They seriously mean, like, older teenager. So, technically, the, the, this is not a ch- children's book in, in the least. But it – um all three of these books were released, like I said, within a month of each other, and they all take place concurrently. So, Light of the Jedi or Light of the Jedi um, spans several weeks' time. Um, they're saying it takes place 200 years before the movie, so they're listing it the, that as 232 um, BBY before the Battle of Yavin, um, because a F- Phantom Menace is 32 BBY. So, 200 years before the movies, so we'll just round it off to then, because I don't know why. Um, but light of the Jedi spends a couple of weeks over that time. And we talked about a test of courage takes place at the end of that time where they were going to the dedication of starlight beacon. So test, uh, light of the Jedi, um, starts off with the great hyperspace disaster ends with the dedication of starlight beacon. So, uh, where a test of courage is at the end of that, this book, um, into the dark is at the beginning of that. It actually takes place. A, a, probably even a little bit earlier, then Light of the Jedi starts and kind of um, goes into the great hyperspace disaster. And then even within the book, they have flashback scenes to 25 years before that. And so you have this is the earliest book that we currently have in the continuity because of those 25 years
1: flashbacks. Oh, that's that's kind of slick. Gotta love a good flashback like that.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll get into the flashbacks. I have I have lots of thoughts on those. That's a one of my main gripes is those flashbacks in this book.
1: Right, not, and I'm, we'll get there too because I'm I'm not way with most time frame stories where they tell two of them. Um, so as a timeliner, Jim, I guess this is the, the the burning question that I'm sure many a timeliner has or will have. Uh, do you put them out in publishing order on your shelf or, you know, how how would you line these up since they're all, you know, having the same event overlap? Would you put this book ahead of the other two because of the flashbacks?
0: I would probably put because since Light of the Jedi spans both books, I'd put Light of the Jedi first, then this book, then um, A Test of Courage. But I am also super anal about the way things look. And so I group mm-hmm. my books by size. <laughs> they, 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 they won't even come
1: near each other on my bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. The the more you learn about Jim's uh, timeline in his bookshelf, because uh, I, I, I just grabbed it off my bookshelf and I had them in the order of Light of the Jedi, then the Test of Courage, then this one. But then as I grabbed this one, I was like, maybe I should slide Test of Courage over. I mean, they do overlap in such a way that you could really and theoretically put them in any order you really want to at this point. Because it's it's not so much a date that's important than it is the event. Uh, I I think that
0: um, this book doesn't explain the great hyperspace disaster really well at all it just kind of uses right. it as a backdrop so it's it, it, you're still under the assumption that you have read light of the jedi or you are at least aware of the events in that book to get into this book
1: right and and what i noticed too when it came to that like i was questioning was this actually the same event at first because of the way it was described uh and, and the way that they were questioning, you know, like they seemed to automatically link on to oh this must be the legacy run. I'm like, how are you put like the more I tried to tie that down and figure that out, the more I was starting to pick up a couple little issues with what I kind of feel like it's the interpretation of the various writers on how hyperspace works. Because in the light of the Jedi They talk about hyperspace being, you know, enclosed little universe bubbles that each ships in. And yet then we want shows like the Clone Wars and Rebels and all these other things and even the Mandalorian. And we're seeing ships in one long hyperspace tube flying right next to each other. They're not in their own little bubbles. Like so, like, I feel like the description that Charles Scholl gave us was I feel like his is wrong, like the way he interpreted hyperspace and how it was presented in that book just doesn't quite line up with everything we've ever gotten from other mediums. Right. So then when we yeah. get to this one and the way it's described, it's like, it just doesn't line up with the way his was described. so I'm like, is this the same thing? And then the way that like the nav computers shut down, like, it, it was so... Because I knew of what was going on in Light of the Jedi, I kind of started to put two and two together. But I think if I were to read this first with no information, I'd probably be a lot more confused. Because they don't really explain why the NAV computers shut down until you get the message from the government explaining what's going on. But it's like... How in the hell is the the nav computers? Basically, how is the engine of your ship tied to a government decision to shut down the freeways? (laughs) Like That was like my brain was trying to wrap around that. Like, that makes no sense whatsoever (laughs) or scary,
0: if so. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more interesting parts of this book is the way that they treat hyperspace like instead of like what you think of hyperspace is it's a faster than light travel system. If you wanted to stop your vehicle, you can like, if you're driving on the highway and you wanted to stop your vehicle on the highway, yes, you would have impact to the cars around you. But if like you can stop, that's not the case <laughs> in like a hyperspace, apparently like hyperspace, you can't stop. You can only get off at designated exits. And, and that I found like the, the, Interesting thing is, like, it seemed like a storytelling device to get a bunch of ships together at this out of the way station. Like, how else would all of these ships, like, say they were all traveling through hyperspace, if they just stopped and kind of dropped out of hyperspace? You would, you would think that they'd be in their real world equivalent to the hyperspace locations, but they aren't. Is they all got funneled out into this one location because they all had to get off at the same exit, essentially.
1: Yeah, and it was definitely, that's not how I had always originally seen hyperspace. Like, I think of, uh, was the Heir to the Empire when uh, Luke got stranded out in the middle of space and he was, you know, the X-Wing's down and you're like, how is he going to get out? There was, like not a star around him. And he just kind of like reached out to the Force and then Mara Jade was like, oh, we'll just drop the wild card right here. And hey, look, there's an X-Wing. Like, so I was thinking like that immediately, like, oh man, they are so hoes. And then there's the aspect of, This is pushed off onto them as, like, you know, just kind of hunker down. You're going to be here for a while. But they never really get a time frame. Like, could you imagine if this event would have taken, like, two years? Like, how many people would have just died because they just didn't have the food or, you know, near any planet or anything? Like, they all got lucky that there happened to be a space station where they all got dropped off or they'd have been really hosed.
0: Well, yeah, that was, like, one of the things that comes up in the book is uh, why are we here? Why is there an exit here? It's like, you know, when you're driving through the middle of nowhere and you drive by an exit that just says ranch. It's like <laughs> one of those.
1: It's like, why is there an exit here? Like, who gets off? <laughs> I The other thing that I really enjoyed about this book, throughout the book, we play up on a little bit of force philosophy. Um, and it was cool because it felt like a type of force philosophy that we haven't seen since the new Jedi order with Jason and Verger Verger, however you say her name, um, the Jedi from the old Republic that went and joined the Vong and kind of got twisted and came back and kind of twisted Jason a little bit with her. There is no dark side. Um, The whole concept of the dark in this and and the darkness being on the station and, and the Jedi feeling the dark and the dark being like, I, I like that. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the the jam for me when it comes to the Jedi and the force in general, because they're talking about like one of the characters, one of the Jedi masters is with Wreath is Komak, and Komak's talking about how he could feel the darkness. And I'm just like, that's interesting, man. Like he, he almost seems afraid of it. Like, dude, like you should, you should know better, but this is an era where the Jedi have more knowledge about the force than what I do. Right. Like what I know is just from Yoda's teachings and stuff. And we know that Yoda was a little bit flawed, but Yoda was around at this time frame so you know he he's got a, a a principal level that he started with where did it kind of shift and become what we see later right so as we see comic and we see what he's you know as he's interpreting what he's feeling through the forest and the darkness and stuff that angle and how it plays through his point of view was very interesting to me and I think the reason why all this stuff was so interesting was because of the way Claudia Gray does her characters she's always done such a great job of bringing you into what they're feeling and how they're processing events that you just kind of, it becomes how you're thinking, you know, and you just kind of go along with it. Each character had their own unique point of view. And I've really appreciated that. I mean, you have wreath, but you also have wreaths masters ex Padawan with him. Uh, uh, I think was what his name was. And the the differences there and how wreath looked up to him and wanted to kind of, you know, impress him as well as his master and do all these things. And then, the, the the way that his story plays out and it comes back to Comac's story and how he is looking at what's going on with the dark and stuff. I, just, I really appreciated the internal thought processes of the characters. It was definitely a character-driven story all throughout.
0: Yeah, I had made a, a comment um, when I was writing my review of this book in that Claudia Gray does something that a lot of the authors are not able to do. A lot of the authors that we get in the Star Wars stories today either write a character driven story or an action driven story. And a lot of them are great at what they do. That they, they, like they, they come across, the stories are great. But Claudia Gray has a way of combining those. Like not only is this a character driven story, it is also an action driven story, and she does absolutely fantastic at that. Her characters are great, just as you were saying, like they're intriguing, but they're also the, the plot as moving through this action event is Absolutely fantastic. I do have some issues with the plot, as we'll get into. Um, but generally, i this is so far my favorite of the the three books that have come out, and all of the characters there. Really, I kind of see it as um, I, I I don't remember exactly where I had heard this before, but kind of like a bus, a city bus. Like where everybody is coming from different directions you everybody has a different story on this bus but they all come together at this one location at this one time and essentially that's what you're getting here is you have all these characters coming in they don't have much connection if any at all to each other um coming into this point and then they are all grouped together in this event that happens and after this event they all go off in their own separate directions um some of them together some of them not but you you basically you have all these storylines intersecting here and that's really what makes this a rather interesting story is that you instead of combining a lot of their stories you have all these unique storylines coming together
1: right like orla's character was one that i found interesting because like i think they called her a way seeker she was on her way to becoming a way seeker and i recall like i think Emery was also a way seeker had talents of that, but the way that hers was described was definitely different than the way he was described. So I almost was like, Maybe somebody used the wrong word for Emery. Maybe he was more like a Pathfinder or something. I don't know. But uh, I I enjoyed the idea that she was kind of like a rogue character in a sense. Like she was going to go off and do her own thing and kind of disassociate herself from the Jedi Temple and the Order. And yet doing it in a way that was okay. Um, It was kind of almost like getting her GED. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to qualify. That is good enough. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a degree. We will we will count that.
0: <laughs> but it's also getting her D- GED in a school that she absolutely does not agree with whatsoever.
1: Right. It, right. Uh, and and I was what that was probably the interesting thing about her and Comac that also irritated me about the two time frames, because like in the two time frames, we have the, the current moment, what's going on, Comac and her are adults, you know, they're kind of the ones in charge of the group. And then we go to flashbacks and it's kind of like their first mission. And you know, you're trying to find out what they're going and what they're doing, and it's like you could tell whatever happened on that first mission impacted them in their adult lives, but we don't get to the hows until the very end of the book,
0: and, and even I, then, it's right. a stretch to include it in this story. <laughs> right,
1: I, and, and I haven't had a chance to reread it, but I'm like, I almost think the story would be better served had I had that information from the start. <laughs>
0: Uh, it, it, well, if we're getting there um, now, that was one of my biggest criticisms of this book: is that all those flashbacks of twenty-five years ago. You can take all of those out of this book; it'll impact right. this book none whatsoever if those are gone. And what I would have done had I had any power whatsoever, um, and not been a uh, backseat uh, editor, I would have taken those. <laughs> I would have taken those chapters out and published them elsewhere. Like, you have the stories. The story is great by itself, but it doesn't fit in this story. It gives good background to the characters, but it doesn't have an impact on this story at all. It is the loosest impact. And you're right. You don't find out till the very end of what kind of impact that even is. Mm -hmm. And I would have taken that out and released it as a short story um, somewhere else. Like, you can even pay for it separately like two bucks on uh amazon for the short story or something like that like it or did put I, it in insider yeah you It know? like i didn't feel like it fit here for me
1: mm-hmm. I, yeah i i think trying to think and trying to keep it spoiler free i i want to say in the end like the biggest like aha moment about it was like why the station got put where the station was like that to me was like the only solid fact that i came away from that moment it was like Oh, okay. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, that was it. <laughs> like we did all that for you. Kept distracting me with this for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Actually, speaking of the station, um, we have seen this station before. Oh, yeah. A Maxine station was in the Rise of Kyle Ren uh, comic book series.
1: Okay. When
0: uh, Snoke is playing Gardner Snoke. <laughs> um that's really how i refer to him because he looks like a little farmer uh and, right. and he, like he's on the like this greenhouse station that is a maxine station and it was it revealed to us like a, um like probably like a year before and that was also written by charles soul uh who didn't write this but obviously is heavily involved in the the high republic series and so we got the the brief glimmer of that without realizing what it was at the time and then they're like when the when this came out they're they're going on about how we had seen this station before and you kind of see it um much later in the like 300 years in the future with the the rise of kylo ren and a, a much more disrepair than is in at this time
1: right interesting interesting um you know the the big bad guys that we're not going to mention yet. We'll get into later. The reason why we're so hesitant, um, when I was reading this moment, I literally, I, and we talked about this on one of our last episodes. I spoiled myself. Like within, I'd say three pages from the big reveal in the book. Um, I did it going to star Wars.com and watching one of their high Republic videos. It was saying one of those highlight videos and they highlighted this enemy species. And I was like, ah, I mean, it was. It would have been cool to have gotten it after that moment. Um, and then, like Jim said at the beginning of this episode, you know, we do see these guys in the comics, so we get to see kind of a physical representation of what they look like. That came in very handy because when you are reading the book, it does kind of leave it open to imagination as to what they look like. The bad guys. Also, I think the the closest I'll get to in the spoiler free part of saying what they look like is like, uh, if you ever watched Ro- uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, the suddenly see more moment, like kind of that—that's what my mind thought up before I saw the comics and saw what these things really looked like. I was like, "Oh, okay." So it's cool that you've got that other medium, but definitely, if you're going to be jumping into this era, this is one of the books you're going to want to get to first. <laughs> Don't get too deep into other stuff. Don't go off into the weeds, or you're going to be—you'll miss the really cool moment of when they're—they're they're actually brought forth because. I think that's the thing about this book that I really enjoyed the most was their introduction to the story and the way it was done was done in such a way that I really feel like they're a very ominous threat. Um, You know, I've said it, I said it before with one of the earlier books, this series definitely feels a lot like the New Jedi Order and this species bringing in the way that they are and the way they're presented in this story definitely leads me to feel that same kind of despair that the vong brought to the galaxy when the when they were like renaming and remaking the galaxy in their image like i feel like these people or the species group could do something very similar if they're left unchecked
0: yeah like so my um kind of spoiler moment it wasn't really a moment as i i recall like Watching a video or hearing like maybe one of the High Republic videos that they had released and hearing them talk about this, um, the bad guys, but they didn't mention it was in this book. They just mentioned that the, the, what was about the bad guy And my brain as I was reading the book, I'm putting two and two together. And I'm like, this sounds an awful lot of like that. And so I just immediately assumed it was there. And as we get closer and closer to the the pronouncement of what it was, and I'm like, I'm more and more convinced that I'm right and eventually they anna- uh, you get to the point of the book where it's it's re- revealed what you're dealing with, and I'm like 100% there, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I figured that out close to the beginning of the book. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you you basically, your PR, PR department completely spoiled it for me, um,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: was annoying at the time. I would have liked to have been more surprised at it. I don't know if I would have figured it out or not had I ar- not already known. But, oh, right. um, yeah, at the end of the book it seems like everything is done. Like, the bad guys are contained. Everything is set in stone. Like, you don't need to worry about this anymore. And then you go into the comic series, and you realize that, like, it's the same characters or sh- same species. And you're like, well, clearly, that wasn't contained. And uh, apparently, there was a back door open somewhere. And so, that yeah, like, reading the comic series after these books, um, especially since the comic series take place kind of starting at the same time as the books, but really they extend on into the, the future, um, I'm assuming bridging the gap between these books and the next set of books that are coming out in a couple months. Mm-hmm.
1: And and we'll get to there once we get mm-hmm. to the spoiler, free, or the, the spoiler part, because there is an article that came out afterwards uh, that basically gives us the explanation, and you're like, wait, real, what, what? Okay. Oh, it's you got it. Kind of I haven't read yeah, that then. It, and I'm. It's, I might like I said. My show notes are massive. Uh, it was Screen Rant had put it out, and oh. it was Screen Rant's during, garbage. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It was during uh, High Republic issue number three where they hinted at as to how that they possibly got everywhere, and basically, it's one of those somebody forgot to check something when he thought he disabled something and it turns out there was something inside the things that he thought he disabled after all wow, so that was a of... whole
0: lot of nothing you just said right? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll get to that a little bit deeper here um, you know the thing
0: I, the thing that the guy with the thing that yeah he went the to thing. the place with the with the thing he did he did right. actually check the thing to make sure the thing in the place was not actually in the thing at the place and the, he went to the place where the thing was actually still there
1: <laughs> and and that's how it worked with the darkness. You know, they felt the darkness, and they needed they needed to do something about the darkness. And then when they did something about the darkness, it turned out that their darkness was actually light, and they released even more darkness. And you're like, wait, what? The? But that was a cool moment. I mean, you have to know <laughs> what I'm talking about to really get the thrill out of it. But uh, so I guess what we're saying is, uh, I think we're done with spoiler free stuff. It's time to jump into the nitty gritty, right?
0: I let's do it. All right.
1: Analyze their attack, sir. And there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by?
0: Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances.
1: Now consider that your spoiler warning, beyonders and sentients of all ages. Because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Oh yes, the good stuff. All right, guys. So you know. Let's just name the the big bad in the room here, okay? They're called the Denger, um, Drengear. Drengear. Drenger, Drenger, Denger. Yeah, you know, you know it's Star Wars. So if you get the vowel wrong the first time, you fix it on the third. Uh, so these guys were pretty gnarly. And what I think I like the most about them is like when we were first introduced to them, it, it's that presence. You know, they they just fill the darkness. And they don't realize the Jedi that have entered the station, they, they don't realize they're like literally walking through basically an army of these guys. Um, what we find out later is that it took Jedi and Sith or, or or the Sith in this case. The Sith are the ones that stopped them. They put them in like a, a freeze. They like locked them in their plant form without any of their cognitive motions. So they're just basically plants. And the Jedi are feeling the darkness that they represent. So I thought that was kind of cool. It's like at the moment, they're a natural thing. And yet they're still putting out an evil that the Jedi are able to feel. And they see these statues and they're like, oh, well, that's the darkness. We'll just we'll take it back to Coruscant and we'll fix it. Well, you know, if you've been paying attention to the stuff we've gotten from the Jedi and the Coruscant and the Temple and everything, we know that the Temple's built on a Sith, uh, uh, old Sith academy. There's a place that they take all these artifacts down to the bottom, and they kind of like cleanse its aura, kind of thing. And they do this moment with these statues. And, and it's in that moment they realize they made a mistake. The statues weren't evil. They were holding back the evil. So in a sense, the Jedi let these bad guys go. And I think that is like one of the coolest aspects of these guys all the way around. I'm like, dude, you screwed up so hard thinking you were doing what was right because you were feeling feelings and you were following the dark side and you thought you were doing good, but you messed up.
0: <laughs> That's it. And then they have to take the statues back trying to fix their mistake and, you know, doesn't it doesn't quite quite go the way that they hoped it would and so no no yeah that's it i found like the weirdest thing about this story like the one of my like i have three gripes about this story and this is the third one is that it feels like a part one and a part two like the way it was written and when they go to coruscant right. you are like the whole first part is a very tense kind of thriller kind of story um mm-hmm. And then they go, the entire clan goes to Coruscant. And it breaks the momentum of the entire story when they do that. And then eventually they go back to the station. Um, All your questions are answered and everything's solved, but that that break in the middle kills the momentum of the story. And it's like the second half of the story is great as well, but it's like you kind of have to get over that little hump in the middle and the second half is not nearly as good as the first half, but it's it's still a great story and Mm -hmm. um yeah it's 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 like the weirdest thing the way she wrote it as this part one part two but not actually dividing it into those two parts i think it probably actually would have been better had she like just thrown in a part one and part two in there so you knew that you're dealing with like two separate parts of the story
1: right and 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 like you had said in the spoiler free part the flashbacks definitely worked like that where you were feeling you were but it, it was more of a distraction because it, it didn't feel like that earlier time frame was something that was vital. Like you said, you could set it off to the side, put it in insider as a little short story and it would work. And I think that that's probably why she didn't. And that's probably also a big disservice to the story was that, yeah, it would have probably worked out a lot better. I also liked how uh, Dez's character's story arc went because he's also kind of like a part one, part two. Because in the first part, we think he dies, like, and, and yeah. the way they do it, I was convinced. Like, I was like, "Oh crap!" Like that went quick. Oh shoot! <laughs> I like, was actually one hundred percent convinced he wasn't dead. Oh, you you didn't buy it at all. You're nope, like nope, not at nope, all. Nope. See, and I I think for me it was it was the other Jedi Masters' their belief that he was gone that sold it for me. I was like, okay, well if they, if, you know, if they're, if they're not feeling him in the forest, well, but I think though, that there was a character there in the background the whole time that probably leaned closer to why you saw it that I didn't, because if the Jedi were really paying attention to life signatures then geode would have been a lot more interesting character because geode's a character that was brought in with this group of pilots that were piloting the Jedi to their location. He was kind of like the pilot He's a rock. And he don't move, and yet he does move when he needs to move. And he doesn't talk, and yet, like Chewbacca, everybody knows what he's saying. And yet, I kept waiting for a moment. And we did get it in the second half, where one of the Jedi actually looked at him in the Force. It was Wreath, and Wreath finally recognized him for what he was. But all the way up in that moment, I was just like, you know, they're dealing with the concept of the dark, the light, and what the people are feeling, and things that are alive. And I'm like, Geo's is perfect example. You know, because like when Yoda teaches Luke about the Force, he's like, "Oh, there's the Force, there's everything, the ship, the rock, the ship and the rock aren't alive, so why are the Force going through them?" I mean, that was always something that when Yoda presented that, I was always like, "That's weird." Like the whole living Force, unifying Force, and then you had Geode sitting here, and I'm like, "Oh, well, here's a perfect opportunity for them to like examine him in the Force and kind of like you know explore these Force philosophies a little bit more." And yet they they didn't. They skipped right over that. I was they like, can, oh.
0: they kind of wrote him off.
1: They really did. I mean, and what's funny, too, is, like, like he became a splash across Twitter and the social media feeds because, like, at the same time this book was out, they were dropping the little pictures like they did with uh, Alphabet Squad. I'm like, here's a character. And here's a character. And then they showed Geode. And they're like, here's a rock. And everyone's like, you know, people were just tro- trolling the heck out of it for that. I don't think like, they ever oh. released
0: a picture of Geode. I think that was a fan-made picture.
1: Was it a fan-made
0: one? I'm almost okay, positive well, no. that it was. <laughs> Um, oh, I would have liked to see a, 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 an official representation, but the like the the so the the vessel that they fly on, um, and I'm calling it the vessel uh, because that's the name of the ship. They actually called it the vessel, and like I think the crew of the vessel is some of my favorite in this book because they are some of the most unique characters we've gotten. Um, we have the captain of the vessel, Captain uh, Captain Leox. Leox is essentially a bead-wearing, asexual hippie who is modeled after 1990s Matthew McConaughey. Like, by the the author herself, uh, <laughs> Claudia Gray, has stated that she modeled it after um, Matthew McConaughey. And I listened to the audiobook on this, and the audio, um, the the narrator, actually was giving you the Matthew McConaughey accent that yes! I'm like, as soon as I'm listening to this, I'm like, Wait, this is the character that's modeled after Matthew McConaughey. Like, not even like putting the two together, and then realizing I'm like, oh, it, like after I put all the pieces together, I'm like, it totally is. And then you look at a picture of this character. Um, this they've actually released a, a model of the character, and it is totally 1990s Matthew McConaughey. Um, I, I like Captain Leox is absolutely fantastic, and then Affy, um, who is essentially the co-pilot, um, also like the Bind Guild, the shipping representative for this the 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 ship but also like the daughter of the entire this massive conglomerate and then again you have geode and the way they talk to geode it's like you don't know if you're in on the joke or you are the joke because they'll constantly be talking to geode geode won't do anything or say anything and then they'll respond like like geode like i think we should do this nothing and then they'll laugh and like Haha, you're right that's great um and like all the Jedi are sitting back and going are we the joke are we like I don't understand like like what that what's happening here and it goes on through the entire book and right. even the like people reading the story don't know if you are the joke or you're in on the joke until eventually at one point like geode moves but you never see geo move. geo just uh, basically appears in different places like like you just missed him moving
1: mm-hmm. yeah he's like the angels from doctor who <laughs> uh,
0: yeah like i don't know somehow claudia gray made this like one of the best characters in star wars just like this sentient rock but you don't never you're never quite sure what you're dealing with
1: <laughs> yeah like like there at the end well, yes, unless, of course, I could convince your navigator friend to join me. Geode stood nearby, his silence, his only reply. He'd been willing to look over ships with her, but Orla already knew his loyalty was to Lux. <laughs> and he actually saves Reef at one point. Like, when I read that, like, I had to go back because I didn't realize what was going on until all of a sudden it was like, then he's like, he looks up and it was Geode. It's like, oh, oh, oh that was, oh, that was slick. Okay. All right. Yeah. Like, uh,
0: Reef is about to get sucked out of an airlock. And yeah. literally there's nothing to save him. He lost his grip on what he had. He was literally flying through the air, about to be sucked in the airlock, and he slams into something that wasn't there before. And he realized that it was Geode. And, like, clearly Geode had to move because he was on the ship, and now he's not on the ship. And it, it's oh, it, it it's just so hilarious. Like, because as you're reading it, you're like, is this a character?
1: Or is this just a rock in the corner? Uh-uh. <laughs> right. Right. And of course, you know, Lux or Leox, however you want to say him, he's constantly going on about the merits that Geode has. And you're just like, but does he? Like, we just don't know. (laughs) I also liked Afi Hallow. She's a connection between the vessel ship, the crew, and the Bryn Guild, which we, bind, Bind Guild, we learn a lot more about them. Uh, cause I mean, we find out that the legacy run was part of that guild. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on there that as this story progresses, I feel like we're going to come back to a lot of these aspects. Afi, especially, I feel like it's going to be a character that we're going to see more, um, but she has some great moments because, like, she asked Wreath to describe the Jedi in two sentences or less. His reply back is like, "Those two sentences might be really long." No. <laughs> and I and this is the young adult part because she goes back like after he tells her some of the rules and stuff. She's like, "So that means no sex, no sex." Okay, <laughs> like there we go. These young adult books bringing up the s word like they're all about it.
0: That's <laughs> uh, geared towards teenagers, so um, yeah, that's a the the mindset. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Afi is a fantastic addition to the story because she's not a Jedi. She's not affiliated with the Jedi. She doesn't really even care about the Jedi. Like, she has the conversations, (laughs) but she is not, like, it doesn't impact her whatsoever. She has her own storyline in this entire book, and it fits, like, her storyline fits with the Jedi storyline, but it is completely separate. And mm-hmm. basically she is trying to figure out if her mother, who um runs the Bind Guild, um is using forced labor on the other ships and like they're finding out that the Maxine station apparently is like a, a waypoint, like a secret waypoint that the Bind Guild is using. Um, or at least that's what it seems like, and her parents somehow got caught up all in all of this and eventually ended up dead. And so she is on this mission to try to figure out what happened to her parents and what is going on in the bind guild that she is theoretically going to inherit and the only way she's going to inherit this from her mother is if she kind of lets this let sleeping dogs lie um <laughs> and that is something that she's not willing to do and so like her her own path through this book is absolutely fantastic, and I, I love it that it's not an entirely Jedi centric story.
1: Right. And there at the end with her story arc, I wasn't sure she was going to stick with her convictions. I mean, Claudia gray goes into her head enough that her doubt started to make me doubt. And there at the end, she actually, she does do the right thing. She does report everything and stuff. And so for her character moving forward into the next books, cause I, I, I don't know which of them, but she does come back in one of the next books that are coming out in the next six months or so. Um, but I, I'm definitely curious as to where it puts her. I mean, she's poised to take over and she's also poised to make some changes for the better. Um, so I'm curious to see how she moves forward and how that's going to impact things. Cause there's definitely this feeling like things are coming back around with stuff. Like nothing's being just tossed out there and left, like the Nile showing back up in this case. Like, like even the way the Nile work out, like there are some characters that we think are just fellow refugees that turn out to be Nile, uh, not wearing their masks and their normal garb. No one realizes that they were the Nile until we get to the second half of the book. And then there is an aspect of vengeance for Wreath, because Wreath's like he, the fact that he was bamboozled. Like, he's kind of pissed off about this. <laughs> like, shall I get some Jedi justice? And I'm like, dude, you're kind of like bordering on some dark places here. Uh, but I like the way that that plays out because, like you know, the Nile were definitely introduced as our big bad, and they keep talking about how they're a big bad, and yet we get these books, and even like you know, Test of Courage, where the Nile don't act the way they've been represented in the first one. You know, in Test of Courage, they weren't wearing their their trademark costumes and stuff, and yet we hear over and over again about how the Nile are such a threat that they leave no survivors. And yet it's like in the first three books, we've got nothing but survivors. <laughs> so like, well, we're kind of just, you know, we've, we've set them up to be this big bad, but we're really showing they're not They're They're turning out to be more like the clone wars version of general Grievous than the Gendi clone wars version.
0: <laughs> I, I'm thinking, um, what's his, um, Hondo Anaka's pirate gang.
1: Right. Like they right. just,
0: they, they they're, they're, they're a evil pirate gang, but yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I never actually like that threw me through a loop. Um, I didn't realize that those were Nile. I have friends who did realize that they were Nile. it, it I did not. Um, I know ne- I never caught it until they kind of re- revealed that they're like, wait, patch together ship. Oh, I get it. Those are the Nile on the ship. And I'm like,
1: <gasps> fold me. Right. This this also was the first time I got a real sense for the Nile ships. Um, Yes. Charles talked about them being a storm, a tempest. And when they first show up in his book, they did show up kind of in the guise of how Claudia Gray described their ship but it was all in one scene and it was over and then we never came back to it again. So I didn't realize it, but in this one it's, it's almost like the best sense of, of what their ships look like in my mind was more like a board cube compiled of other board cubes. Like it was just a, a bunch of different ships that were retooled and repurposed to be one big one. And they could kind of come off at different types and stuff. And it definitely adds some strategy for when you go up against the Nile because you could be competing against one big ship that turns into 52 um so i i thought that was interesting but i never picked that up in either of the first two books that came out it wasn't until this one i was like oh oh, okay well that's definitely different
0: yeah and that they um they basically like even their one ship is a piecemealed um conglomeration of other ships from the essentially the species that they conquered um they'll take like the engines of one they'll take the cockpit of another take the, the like you have this amalgamation that looks like it's barely functional um, be like the super ship. Cause you took all the best parts from all the other ships. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get any clue whatsoever that this is how the ships were um, put together in the other materials. And hence the reason I was totally thrown that who, who these people actually were.
1: Right. They're definitely, they kind of come up with some reaver like vibes at yes, times. Definitely. You know, like, like the threat of the reavers, you know, you feel that coming. across. Oh, the Nile, they're here. They're going to wipe everyone out. Everybody dies. And then you watch them, you know, take the ships and they incorporate them in different ways. And then you find out some of the people get brought in and, and you know, converted to Nile. So you definitely get that sense of a threat. I still am hoping that Marky on a row turns out to be a, a secret Sith of Bane's rule of two or something or, or somehow tied to that. I think that would be a really cool aspect of all of this, because like the 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 or whatever they are they definitely embody the darkness, but I kind of feel like they're a natural darkness to a degree. And then they start speaking and then I'm like, well, maybe they're not, you know, <laughs> like they, a sentient evil plant that considers everyone meat.
0: Yeah. It's essentially like, it's a, like a species war where plants are on one side and everything, not plants is on the other. And so they just hate <laughs> all life. That's not plants. And so you're yeah. it's, it, you're right. It, it feels like they are the epitome of just pure hatred because there's no reasoning with them. And so where you get a lot of the yu Vong feelings is like it, it's they just have no empathy for the life that they are um, trying to eradicate.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting, too. You mentioned that we do see an amoxing station later in the Kylo Ren series. I'm assuming it's not the same one yes, in the Yes. It is, it that, is
0: this in, same station.
1: Really? Yeah. Cuz like in this story they're t- talking about how the star system was in the process of going nova, there were all these huge solar flares, so I would assume that the station would have got wiped out by it going nova. But I guess and clearly maybe they found a way to stabilize the star. I don't
0: know. it's only 300 years. Stars live for billions of years. It could be a that's, it could be about to go nova for
1: thousands of years. That's true. That's true. See, and this is why it's good to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But I did, I did enjoy the Max scenes. I thought that was a cool twist. Um, so the the station, the basic idea of the station is they've got these pods that kind of are like little hyperspace pods on their own. They're little ships that they kind of jump to and from places, so they can get anywhere in a matter of seconds. But they're kind of all so they're we- like
0: pre destined to like they all have their like coordinates already preset
1: right which gets back to you know i i feel like they're changing the way that we're supposed to be interpreting how hyperspace works like it definitely felt like originally when star trek did its thing and then star wars came in and they're like well we're not going to do it like warp drive and yet then it's kind of like for all intents and purposes it is like warp drive and yet they're like every time they write about it they're like they write it in ways they're like, yeah, this isn't work. No, everyone's in their own little bubble, and their own little bubble their own little universe and into itself. And and then you're like, but that doesn't the what you're setting up doesn't function the way you're saying it's set up. Like so, like even that, like if they're all predestined locations, then how do you set another one? How do you program another radio station into your your deck?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. I usually just hold down like the number two button, and if you hold it down <laughs> long enough. Um, you you end up at the drinker's whole planet,
1: right? Uh, so that that's definitely one of the aspects where I'm like, huh, because Wreath ends up disabling it, or so he thinks. He he launches all the pods out. Well, and see, and even then, he was able to. Altered the degrees off by a little bit, so his hope was that they wouldn't land on the planet; that they would land in orbit of the planet or something, and and be off. And then he wasn't going to recall. Okay, them. yeah, I do remember. Well,
0: okay, it's it's been a couple months since I read it, so I think you're right. I think it's they're preset at the Maxine station of where they go, right? And so and right. they and so, and so it's not the the ship itself can't determine where it's going. It's basically right. um the the before it launches at the station that the hub is where it determines where it's going.
1: Right. Now, in the uh, third issue of the High Republic comic, that's the article Screen Rant was talking about, so they were implying that when Wreath launched the pods, he wasn't paying attention to what was in said pods, and he launched the pods with some seeds in them. Uh, we find out that uh, it, it was actually George Mann's Dark Legends. Yes, that's what uh, we talked about the that copy.
0: before, how... Um, somebody had a, a seed and mm-hmm. basically ended up in uh, on Batu with the seed and um, all hell broke loose.
1: Yeah, so Dark Legends, it says it suggests that the uh, drenger seeds can grow almost overnight in fertile soil, drawing all the nutrients into themselves and killing the crops. So the theory here is, is that Wreath didn't look and launch seeds. But see, even that doesn't quite make sense because he made sure that none of those pods were going to land on any of the plants that were going to be in space. So like, I kind of feel like what ends up happening is, so we find out Dez didn't die. Dez got transported to a planet that the Dringer are on or their original home planet. We don't know for sure. Uh, they're still sitting there waiting for the original group that they sent to the station to come back so they can continue their conquest, but that group never came back.
0: They're literally sitting at their desks, um, just like (laughs) wrapping their uh, their fingers on the desk for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, going, I don't think they're coming (laughs) back.
1: Right. (sighs) Right. The patience of a plant, man. (laughs) Uh, so when, when he gets there, when Wreath shows up, finds out Dez isn't dead, uh, they've been torturing Dez. So they've almost broke Dez. Very much reminded me of like the worst skitter moment, uh, from the new Jedi order. Uh, Dez ends up attacking Wreath at first. Like he's so out of it. Like they point, like we find out that their vines can create poisons, um, so they can do things like that. There's definitely some interesting aspects to them as a villain.
0: Have you read the high Republic, um, not the high Republic adventures, the high Republic comic series from Marvel?
1: Not yet. I, I only read the first issue with skier and, uh, uh, oh gosh, what in the heck is her name? Um, Stellas, Stias, Kreev, Trenis, Trennis, Trennis, She's like tennis. Uh yeah, Keith Trennis and and, and Skier. Yeah, I only read that first issue.
0: So, um, basically they 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 come in contact with the Dren on another planet, um, similar to the George Mann story. Um, but these basically they the Dren release spores, and they can either um when they come in contact with uh, what they call meat, um, they can either mm-hmm. consume the meat. As their um, food, or they can control the meat, and that's the spores in the body. Basically, takes control of the body. Um, that's what happens to Skir. Uh, skier oh. gets taken over by the Drenghir, and that's exactly what happens to Des as well, as he gets taken over by like uh, by the the Drangir. And so you have this um, kind of where you are minorly aware of what's happening, but you are mostly um, being controlled and that's a kind of
1: like kind of like the york coral seeds the vong used to a sense but instead of pain it's more like you're subdued or, or you're just silenced. a silent yeah you're just a
0: puppet um essentially wow. and so that's a it, that's like what happened to Dez exactly what's happening to skier in the in the comic series and so uh it, it's interesting parallels to kind of see that both um the the comic skier series is right by kevin written by kevin scott um Mm-hmm. And so they're really in line with what they're thinking of that these things are working together, except for maybe the hyperspace issues. But I think it's mostly different interpretations of different mm-hmm. things that is just, they're so, it's so convoluted to begin with that it's just getting a mush in the process.
1: Right. And that's definitely one of those things like as this goes, this could end up starting to splinter the cohesiveness of it all as each interpretation kind of doesn't line up with the last one. Um I, I definitely got the feeling at first before I, I saw anything about the screen rant saying that there were seeds. I felt like, you know, the the group that was on the planet finally had their knowledge that, okay, the group didn't just die, you know, something happened so we can go ahead and move forward. And I felt like, and I, I'm probably wrong, but I feel like they left that main planet and started to head out across the galaxy because they were basically their shortcut was cut out and taken out from under them. So I was thinking like, well, they must have just started traveling from the planet. Now that they know that the green light is open, they've got the word back from that group. And now they're starting to conquest. But we won't really know until that's laid out for us in one of the next books. I mean, right now it's all just us kind of conjecture and speculation.
0: Yeah. In in this book, they were essentially locked to the planet because they had no way of getting off of the planet. And nobody traveled there. And so if you have no ships, you are isolated to the planet. And so that's why like they they were waiting for the group to come back, but they weren't able to leave the planet anyway. I think they would have left were they able to.
1: Right. Well, then I guess that is why they're probably leaning towards it's got to be seeds. But even then, I'm like, but he purposely made sure none of those pods would go to those locations. Hence
0: my confusion of how do you get from this story at the end of this story where um, they basically lock down a magazine station and make sure nothing is able to get off to the comic series, which takes place not long after. I think they said it was uh, in the the fifth issue. They made a comment of it's been a a few weeks. Um, And so you're you're dealing with a few weeks out of um, the the end of Light of the Jedi. So you're a couple months, essentially, between the stories. How do you get from one to the other – it hasn't been laid out to us. Um, I think Screen Rant is just taking a, a leap of faith of that what they think happened.
1: Right. So the comic it doesn't ever give us the name because, like, maybe they just happen to go to that same planet. That
0: it's doesn't. it's a different planet. It's 100% a hundred percent. a different planet. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Well, yeah. They definitely. I hope they're paying attention. Well, I guess with that that that's a good time to jump into something that I wasn't sure where to put it. There's been some continuity issues. Um, I didn't realize this. I was only on uh, the Wikipedia thing, looking up one of the names of a character and I come across a whole little four little ticks off here on continuity. And I'm like, wait, what's this? And the more I looked, I'm like, huh, interesting. You know how we had that great, you know, conversation about how oh they're doing like the new Jedi order and all the authors are getting together on a story group and all this. Well, we're starting to see some cracks. Uh, so in the prologue, Dora Malley's montrails are described as streaming behind her when the air speeder is, uh, she's in goes into a dive. She's Torgruda and her Likyu are what are actually being described. Uh, so they call them differently. That doesn't seem like a
0: big I'm, deal I'm, to me. You're, you're picking your nits with that one.
1: Right. Uh, her lightsaber also described as having a blue blade. Then it was white. She's also there. She's also
0: barely in this book.
1: Like, right. she's like in the first um,
0: two chapters, and then she's killed off screen.
1: Right. Uh, when he overhears Wreath Silas and Des Ryder discussing Padawan braids, which I thought was kind of cool because not everyone had to wear Padawan braids, uh, Comic Vitix thinks of himself that he will not require his next apprentice to wear one, implying that he has had apprentice before. However, when he agrees to take Wreath as his Padawan near the end of the book, Vitus says that Wreath is his first apprentice. I <laughs> missed that one. Uh, Jedi Master Adam Poe described as a male. However, the character was female in light of the Jedi, I didn't catch that. Light of the Jedi was later changed, confirming that Appo was male. That's probably why. They probably fixed it. Uh, and then Jedi Master Rosansson was described as a woman. However, the character said to be a male. So those are all tiny, but it's just, a, a, again, the aspect of one author not quite understanding all the little details. And these are all little. None of these are big. None of these are smoking <laughs> gun like, say, Bad Batch and they're not
0: even major they're not major characters like they you're looking at background characters barely mentioned right um and it could it could be even just like typos right like i i i meant to put one thing and it just came out as another yeah i knew i knew this person was um female that was just an accident right. like it like it's not like you completely built a story around the character right. and had it be a um a uh deveronian as opposed to a drinking right
1: right i mean even like as far as even smaller continuity, this isn't even on the level of what I would say Bad Batch as episode one did for Kane in The Last Padawan. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean,
0: That's a- there,
1: there are other God. things that are definitely like, why? Like like those, when I saw it at first, I was like, uh-oh, there's there's a paragraph of continuity here. This can't be good. These are all real small. Uh, they are indicators, though, that they definitely want to pay more attention, and it does kind of lead me to th- suspect that... We might be seeing some of these kind of continuity glitches with hyperspace travel. Um, But I, I think it all comes down to interpretation from each of these different authors on what they're getting out of those meetings. I mean, all of these just seem like little tiny things like, oh, he just he just misunderstood something.
0: Yeah, nothing. There's nothing in there that would make me question the story group. Like, I've seen people rant and rave online about stupid little things like that. But really, like, you can get different versions of events from two people that were in the event. Like, like, like little things like, oh, I didn't realize the cop was a woman. I thought it was a man. And, like, the oh, you're yeah, – like, that sort of thing. Right. Like, if you were literally there. Um, and so I – that means nothing. Uh, the Bad Batch issue is um, completely inexcusable. Uh, like that's a completely separate issue, but um, I have severe problems with that one. <laughs> but that's uh, that's because I feel like Dave Filoni signed off on the, the storyline to begin with in the um, comic series and then decided that he wanted to allow it to be changed later. Right,
1: right. I got to admit one of my favorite moments in the entire book was when the Jedi brought the statues back to Coruscant. Uh, and they went through the entire moment of breaking, uh, the, the curse or whatever it was on it. it says, uh, The breaking of deep trance felt to Orla like surfacing from black waters, breath and light pouring over her. Although her eyes had been open, she had not been seeing her surroundings or really anything, only connecting herself more profoundly to the other Jedi in the circle. They all exchanged glances as they, as they turned towards each other, their movements in perfect sync, Orla still retained control of her own mind and body. They had not pooled consciousness completely, but they had reached a state of harmony that allowed them to mirror not only motion, but also thought and intent. This would give them the best possible chance of combating whatever evil was about to be set free. As one, they raised their hands, perceived anew the warm intensity of the force containment, and extinguished it. The shrine in the depths, that's the name of the, the location in the temple they're at. The shrine of the depths did not fall dark, but everything suddenly seemed dimmer. No, she realized, just cooler. Even if the warmth of the containment had been illusion, illusions had their own strength. She didn't understand what the chamber now seemed to be. Empty. Nothing more. The only emanations of the force came from her fellow Jedi. "'Did it dissipate into the virgins already?' Orla asked. "'Confusion was weakening their shared bond. "'Or is it still present, lying in wait?' "'Nothing's here,' Do's eyes widened as she took it in. "'Nothing is trapped here. Nothing ever was.' "'That's impossible,' Master Mirabel said. "'We shared your memories of the Amaxine Station. "'The darkness you sensed there. "'That raw power. It was very real. "'And what about the warnings we received?' Orla interjected. "'The visions!' I fear we may have misinterpreted the warnings. Komak walked up to the jeweled insect idol. Perhaps these were not used to contain the dark side. I think instead they were used to... to dampen it. To hold it in place. That's why the containment exercises have been so difficult to execute. They were overlapping with their original purposes, ultimately undoing them. Explain in really simple terms for those of us not fluent in ancient force archaeology, Orla said. These statues weren't holding the dark side within themselves. They were holding the dark side on the Amaxine station, keeping it imprisoned there, attempting to warn us of it. Komek put one hand to his chest as if import of his own words suck in. So when we removed the statues, we didn't just remove the darkness, Orla finished. We set it free. That was one of the coolest damn moments of the whole book. I mean, that was when we didn't get anything else about the Drenger. I'm just like, just knowing that, I'm like, Dude, they just screwed up so bad. Like, they they let the freaking dark. I think if the Drenger tend to be the big threat to the Force, to the Jedi, and the galaxy itself, the fact that the Jedi kicked it free after the Sith locked it down, <laughs> that makes me so excited. I get a kick out of this. I the
0: statues are super interesting in in the story itself too cuz like you have the statues there you don't know what's going on they take the statues out and they set the, the darkness free basically by removing the statues um, they release the drenger and they weren't entirely sure what was going on so they bring the statues back <laughs> and lock down the drenger again but in that interim time when they left the station to when they went back to the station the Nile, the two Nile that were in the story the entire time, we didn't realize who they were, um, they basically called in all their, their cronies to come take over the station, and so they get back there and you have all these Nile now infl- infiltrating the, sh- the, the station, and so Instead of locking things down, they locked all the Dringir down and then decided to release them again to attack the Nile. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually possibly some of the ways that the Nile could have gotten off, or the Dringir could have gotten off, is on one of the Nile ships, True. should that have gotten away. Um, because you had basically the Dringir now fighting the Nile and the Jedi kind of sneaking away, um, knowing exactly what they
1: did. Right. And, and while this was going on, too, there was this whole secret cargo on the vessel, uh, you know, and it was always being hinted at and stuff. In the end, it was just spice, if I recall correctly. But it was like one of those things like yeah. you find out like, OK, yeah, the vessel isn't quite on the up and up. Uh, Lux knows a lot of things that's going on with, you know, Affie's mom. And the more Affy learns, then it becomes this internal struggle with her as to, you know, does she confront her stepmom or her adopted mom? Does she turn her mom in? Does she look the other way and continue to move forward? Um, And I mean, we get a resolution there, but I love the way that as her story progressed, she would get more information that would keep changing where she was landing on that spectrum. Um, So, you know, when you get to the final moment where you find out what she does do, I was questioning all the way up to the very end, like, which way is she going to go
0: here? I think it is like i was questioning what she was going to go do too because the way it's framed it is framed as in she can take over the bind guild and fix everything but she has to wait 20 30 years until like her mom's no longer willing to do it or able to do it um and so she can either get her mom in trouble now with the the authorities or or wait 30 years and fix it from within and both solutions are viable like what do you want to do do you want to save the indentured servitude now or do you want to let people live indentured servitude for 30 years and fix it then and so it's it's one of those like what are you willing to put your mom in prison to fix this issue
1: right right uh, and when they do go back, the Jedi, when they went back to the station, I love the fact that they did it without the Council's uh, permission. I mean, Reece Fox out, he's like, "Dude, we're going rogue, dude!" Like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, rogue Jedi." Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so it was about this time in the book where we're at a Maxi Station. We've already seen the Denger, you know. I know that they're plants and all this stuff, and I've seen the video. That's when I finally got the comic, you know, and I hadn't read all of the comic, but I was seeing a lot of the covers. The covers gave away a lot more than the story in the comic has given away at this point. Um, there's one of the covers where you see creep Trennis going head to head with one of the Dringer and like, that's where I got the vibe also of it being Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, the, the feed me Seymour plant kind of thing, because it definitely in this one, it's just a giant mouth with a bunch of leaves and tentacles.
0: And That's basically what you're dealing with. It's a it basically it looks like a bush yeah. with like a parrot beak yeah, on it yeah, and like yeah. tentacle like vine tentacles sticking off, sticking up of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I like though the idea of them getting into you and controlling you. Um, I I God, I really hope they play with that. I would love to see like a whole contingent of the Jedi get taken over. Like, how cool would that be to have like half the Order in the army of these guys as thralls?
0: <laughs> that's kind of the, the where the comic book series seems to be leading. Cause like skier was taken over and he was completely under, uh, like under their control. And then he fought back and he's like, no, I'm fine. But like, as you go in the comic series, as the comic series continues, you realize he's not fine. <laughs> they realize he's not fine. And he realizes he's not fine. Oh boy! And so it's, it's a, it's kind of a battle of like, I am not strong enough to battle these things.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and so it's uh, like the like mercy kill sort of thing, but we that hasn't happened yet. But uh, and not to spoil anything, I, I don't know if that will happen. But that seems to be like what they're leaning towards in the storyline.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I I gotta say I really enjoyed the story. Um, it was definitely a fun ride. I like the fact. That even though we thought Dez's character dies, and when we bring him back later, like the way that that played out worked, like you know, I, you bought into it, you, you didn't believe for a minute that he was dead. I totally, I, I was hooked. They they bamboozled me. Uh, so when he came back, I was I was fist pumping in the air. I was like, yeah, I was all excited about that. Yeah,
0: I didn't believe it because he was basically billed as one of the main characters, and he was killed off screen. Like, he um, basically goes behind a, a, a trap door, sliding trap door. He gets sucked into another room, not realizing it. It was a total and
1: Scooby-Doo wa- door, too. Like, one of those... Which It whoop. was a total...
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he is essentially, quote-unquote, killed. Yeah. You never see the kill. You just assume that's what happened. And you see a lot of... Um, Things that supposedly incinerate you, but you yeah. don't understand exactly how they work because it's alien technology. And so it's a lot of we don't know. Mm-hmm. It's presented as what the characters don't know. Right. And so that's why I'm sitting there going, he's not dead. Uh, I don't know where he is. I don't know what happened. Right. But I know he's not dead. I thought he got tra- teleported um, elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, he got, so he he- got the hyperspace ship. Elsewhere
1: you knew exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so, yeah, Reese, he recognized that there were hex rings uh, and they they just assumed, you know, that the hex rings, they produce a lot of radiation. And that must have been what happened. But, yeah, what ended up happening was on the other side of the wall, he fell into the pod and then was blipped to the other spot. Uh, but, yeah, as we got it from Reese's perspective, he just was like, oh, damn, dude, he just got vaporized. Like and in that moment, from Reese's perspective, you're like, dude, what a horrible way to go. And I bought into it all because at that moment, that's when Comac starts flashing back to his master's death 25 years ago and his outlook on the Jedi Order and their detachment from emotions, especially when it came to death and the philosophical aspects of that. Because, you know, we know that that's definitely part of the dogmatic aspects of the Jedi that helped, you know, close off, a lot of what they can and can't do with the force because they themselves put, you know, restrictions and confines on how they go about things. And he was definitely starting to question the dogmaticness of the Jedi's approach when it came to death. Um, And, and like, I almost had a feeling at one point, like he was full on just going to go dark. Like, I'm like, dude, he's, he's not handling this well at all. And then, so when Des came back, it was like, Okay, that was enough to get Comic off the ledge because I was thinking there for a minute that he was probably going to end up turning on his own.
0: <laughs> yeah, the 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 duality between Wreath and Dez was really interesting in the story, too. Um, you have Wreath, who's basically a bookish uh, character who wants to stay in the library and study. And you have Dez, who loves to be out in the like making the adventures both of them have the same master or i guess uh des's old master is wreath's current master um who does get killed off screen as well um but they are like two polar opposite characters who are tied together by the same character and wreath is being pushed to be more adventurous but he doesn't know if that's what he wants to be. And you have Dez, who is this adventurous character, all of a sudden, after this huge ordeal, pulls all the way back, doesn't want to be this adventurous character, turns into basically a, um, I'd, I'd say a monk, uh, a force monk where he do- doesn't trust himself uh, after this experience of being controlled. And so, it's a, and so you have Wreath becoming the more adventurous character, to take the place of Dez who no longer wants to be it. And so they kind of switch in their personalities kind of, but more of their, their outset on life.
1: Yeah. He did the same thing that the, uh, Jedi master that Vader hunts down to get his lightsaber, uh, ends up doing there at the end. I can't remember. I know I have it wrote down somewhere here, but Barash vow, that's what it is. Uh, he's going to leave on the barash vow. And he says, uh, those who took the vow spent years, sometimes even decades, in deep meditation and in solitude. It was the last path Wreath would have ever foreseen for Des. But why, Wreath asked. The barge vow, it's taken by Jedi who've made terrible mistakes. You didn't. You haven't even broken your connection to the Force. No, Des said. That was broken by the Dringer. The healers have pieced it back together again, but it's, it's shaky. The cracks are showing. It won't hold. Not unless I commit myself with all my strength to renewing it. So, I mean, Dez recognizes that he's broken, that even though they patched him back together, right, that definitely kind of, with the whole skier thing, like, makes me wonder, like, okay, maybe Dez also recognizes what he's feeling, but doesn't know that that's probably the Denver still inside of him, Like, haven't quite let go. But, Reese's voice cracked, is that the life you really want? Slowly, Dez nodded, you have to understand, the Drenger are profoundly connected to the dark side. The days I spent as their prisoner were days that damaged and tested my connection to the Force. I don't know that I passed the test. Without you, I might have became the creature, a mindless servant of darkness. That is, if they hadn't eaten me first. You passed the test, Wreath insisted. You're still alive. You're still you. Yes, I am, but there are ways in which that's not a good thing. I've always wanted action, excitement. I've wanted that a little too much. Jedi aren't meant to please themselves. We're meant to serve... Service doesn't only mean doing what you want to do. It means listening to the force and I've stopped listening. I know what I have to do. And, you know, because of the fact that you've got these two different Jedi, like you were saying, you know, Des was always the swashbuckling adventurous. And now he is, you know, basically telling wreath. Like, look, man, I've got, I've been doing things wrong. I got to do things in a different way. I'm looking forward to what that does for Wreath because Wreath's been looking at himself as like, you know, I like to I, I like to stay with my books and I don't go out for an adventure. And now he's watching Des, this guy that he looked up to that basically is everything it means to be a Jedi the right way. At least that's how Wreath looks at it. And he is now deciding that maybe he should step back and do something more the way Wreath does. I like I like Claudia Gray's stuff, so I'm hoping that she's the one that kind of breaks that down for Wreath. But I have a feeling that it's going to be a different author. Like the way that these characters are being used, I'm, I'm hoping it's not a disservice because I, I want to see those kind of things picked up. And I'd like to see that played out more, especially internally for Wreath. Uh, I think that's a profound interaction between those characters and can significantly sway a lot of decisions he makes moving forward if they come back to that moment inside his internal thoughts.
0: Yeah, so wreath is um, one of the main characters, it looks like, in the upcoming Out of the Shadows by Justina Ireland, Aha. who also um, has uh, uh, quite a few of the previous characters. Uh, Imri um, mm-hmm. is in it, uh, along with Vernestra Rowe. And looking at the cover of the book, doesn't say it on the publishers, but it looks like um, uh, who was the – from. Uh, test of courage the the scientist uh avar not avar
1: um oh the uh, oh 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 star the Stellis, Staros, or whatever
0: yeah the Staros, um i i can't remember her name for me the life of me
1: yeah i yeah i know I know who you are talking about the one that was so curious about the lightsaber and the whip and all that
0: yeah yes exactly
1: mm. and and you know i like justina Ireland's uh character usage in A Test of Courage. So it'll be interesting to see. And that's, is that also a, a young adult one or is that a Delray one?
0: Uh, that is, I believe Justina Ireland's writing it. It will be upcoming young adults. Cause I know all of the authors, like we got the Claudia Gray writing the young adult. Justina Ireland wrote the middle grade and Charles soul wrote the adult. They switch. Um they they're not they're not sticking with their uh like this person writes this level of reader. They they all switch up what they're actually doing. So Justina's gonna be writing the young adult in the next release of three books.
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah, excellent. So uh another cool moment that I liked was during the dismissal of the Jedi, uh, it was around page four hundred and six. Uh Let's see, so while standing before the council, we get this great line. He says, uh, you're each aware, of course, the dangers of when Jedi go rogue. Even way seekers have protocols to follow. The abilities we possess, the skills that we have learned to weld, these cannot be used in the pursuit of selfish concerns. If they are not employed in the service of others, they are employed wrongly. That is why the order exists, to ensure that our abilities do not corrupt us, but instead enrich the galaxy and the force itself. That was a big red glowing neon sign for me. That last sentence. That is why the order exists. (laughs) That's damn impressive because like that changes a lot of what I thought about the Jedi order. The Jedi order is there to police force users in a sense. It's to keep them doing what's right. And that wasn't what my brain, I always, I always saw it more as like a religious commune where everyone got together and studied the Force and, He's implying that, no, the order is there to make sure that we do not be corrupted by our abilities and instead we enrich the galaxy and the force itself. That gives me a promise of maybe we're going to see a definite schism uh, uh, with the the Sith and the Jedi down the road. I mean, we already know that officially the Sith spawned from the Jedi in the new canon 100 um, percent. So like, maybe that has part of how the Order got founded. Maybe the Order became founded due to that schism and that split. Like, oh, I'm excited about that. Those little throwaway lines get me so damn stoked, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I still, I think, like, I think the Rule of Two Sith are existing at this time. Because I believe Bane, I don't know if it's been confirmed in anything, but strongly implied that that thousand years before of, of Bane's line... Is still in existence during this time. Whether they get uh, involved in any of this is another matter. But right. I don't think these. I don't think we'll see the formation of the Sith from this storyline.
1: No, no. I mean, I'm meaning like farther, farther back. Because uh, oh, okay. I I want to say it was a test of courage that gave us the the smoking gun that that the ancient Jedi were where the Sith came from. The Sith came from the Jedi. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just it's one of those things. Like every time they toss something like that out. I'm just immediately thinking, like, ooh, are we going to get another era farther back? Like, you know, because there's always been that push to bring uh, Revan into canon. And if they were to do something like that with Revan, I would hope that they would put it something even farther back than where Revan was set in Legends canon. I want to say the Revan story arc, and correct me if I'm wrong, was anywhere around 5,000 years before or 3,000. I think it was closer to 3,000, right?
0: Revan's uh, right about. Three three and change, I believe. 3,000 and change.
1: We're in, and, I mean, they could probably put him in that same time frame. But I want them to see something with Revan, like, even farther back. Put a big gap between there so they can do a lot of things with it. But, like, that would be cool if these type of things are seeding up a story era even farther back down the road. Like, it, like even like what they did with uh, Dawn of the Jedi later, you know? I mean, we had the, the Tales of the Jedi and all that stuff, which were our older stories, and then they went back even farther with 25,000 years with Dawn of the Jedi. It was like, and here's a whole new <laughs> concept for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that was the largest leap they've ever done. Um, going from like all our stories 5,000 years back. Eh, We'll just jump back 25,000 years. And they used that number so much when Disney bought um, Star Wars. They're like, we have stories spanning 25,000 years. I'm like, you're kind of overestimating that number a little because you have like two stories at 25,000 years and everything else is like 20,000 years later.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, I liked also at the end, you know, Getting back to Claudia Gray, staying so character-driven, she gets into Reith's head there at the end. I understand, Reith said. I've been thinking about that, too. His resistance to the frontier assignment that had been all about what he wanted. Not about service. Honoring Master Jora with a fire and a vigil meant nothing if he didn't honor everything she taught him. By taking the assignment on Starlight, she'd been trying to teach him what service really meant. I'm learning, Master, he thought. Dez seemed to recognize the impact his words had had on Reth. What will we do next? I think, Reith paused, then nodded, I think I just figured that out. Uh, and so he's decided he's going to go forward with that mission. Because all the way up until this point, he has been convincing himself, like, he just needs to get back to the library. That's all he really needs to do. Um, and I think it's it's really, it's Dez's coming to the realization that he needs to do the rush vow that, that pushes him towards, like, I need to do what... Is right i mean dez is doing something that is shocking me i don't think dez should do it but the way he lays it out it's what's right for dez and in that moment he realizes that his right is to honor his master and to do what he felt his master wanted for him or what she felt was best for him now whether or not that ends up being a bad thing for him we'll find out in other books (laughs) Oh, well, the entire story, everything
0: that happens to him in his story, he constantly goes, well, this is a good example of why I should be in the library. <laughs> oh, no, this is like the perfect example of why I should be in the library. I do. I should not be out here. This is exactly the reason why, look at Des, this is exactly the reason why I should not be out here. Like throughout the, the entire book, and then you get to the end, and he goes, that is the reason why I should be
1: out here. Right, when, and a good chunk of that, too, I think, is how he processed his emotions and his feelings about the girl that he thought was a refugee that turned out to be one of the Nile. Um, you know, he, cause he wanted to take her out. Like he was pretty damn pissed. Like there was a full revenge plot there on his, like he wanted to take that girl down. I'm trying to think what the heck her name was too. uh, her, her Nan, it was Nan and Hag. Or Haug, or however you say his name, they were the two there. And boy, he like the the fact that she had bamboozled him so well really pissed him off. Like he was like, "We're gonna stop them, and they're the Nile, and they're bad, and they caused this whole situation." And plus, the, you know, the Nile were the reason why his master died in the battle and everything. So you're like, you know, he was definitely leaning that way. And then by putting him with Komac, who is also kind of not quite solid in his Jedi teachings. I mean, his views about death and how the Jedi are supposed to accept it are definitely not, uh, you know, the, the regular dogma of the Jedi. He's questioning their rules of the order as to why we're doing this the way we're doing it. So putting the two of them together is going to be an interesting dynamic, especially if you get authors that really explore the internal thought processes of the characters. Like you could really go some places with these guys. Yeah,
0: Comac and um, Orla together. Like we, we had that 25-year flashback where they were together um, and then they kind of went their separate ways and they come back together in this story and both of them really question the Jedi Order. They are not the uh, pinnacles of light that like you would expect of the Jedi Order. They are the the questioning, um, not sure if what the Order is doing is doing it for the right reasons or even in the right way. And so I think that... Um Besides giving a, a decent story of them 25 years ago and not having anything to do with this story, I liked that um, how their past kind of influenced their decisions in this story, and how it's driving both of them to reevaluate their relationship with the order, where Orla kind of does her own thing. It, like in a, a, she's a sanctioned, um. Yeah. I yeah. Pathfinder or wayfinder, where she kind of does whatever she feels like she needs to do. You let's the force guide her. Um, whereas Master Komac then takes on Wreath as a, his apprentice again, not knowing what he's doing, but that's apparently like he sees that as the force telling him what to do.
1: Right. You know, we get the denger and they're definitely a bigger threat than the Nile, and yet. It's it's almost like Lucas Film, Del Rey, or whoever you know they're, they're just holding on to the Nile. It's got to be this big bet, like because when you get to the end, Nan shows back up. She's with the Nile. She goes to the leader, who we know from the last uh, book, Light of the Jedi, Marquion Rowe. Although I, I still think Marchion on Rho would sounded better, but Marcy on Ro. uh So Nan, dealt before, Nan knelt before the leader of the Nile, the leader, the I, Marcy on Ro. a figure so high above her she'd never have presumed to dream of any meeting. She would have prostrated herself before him, never had she felt so unworthy of her stripes. But her emotions were less important than the communicating of the facts. My guardian hag was killed by the Jedi's tricks, she said, along with so many of the others. I only survived because I returned to the lower tunnels to make sure they were clear of the other Dringer. Markeon Ro nodded. The light shimmered dully on his metallic gray skin. You are not to blame, he said. Their deaths are the responsibility of the Jedi, and the Jedi will pay. Anger in his voice restored Nan, gave fuel to the vengeful flame inside her, and yet she had to caution him. I fear the Jedi are very powerful. They have abilities unlike anything we've ever encountered before. Markey on Rose smiled merely. You are wise to fear the Jedi in the Republic, but they should fear us in return, for the Nile will be the destruction of the Jedi.
0: At which point he then responds, Denial is not just a river in
1: Egypt. Right? Uh, yes, that would be... But I'm just like... I go back to, you know, what I know of him towards the end of that last book and his intimate knowledge, his family's intimate knowledge of Jedi, how to contain Jedi. And in fact, he has a Jedi imprisoned at this moment. Um,
0: No, I think this is before that.
1: Is this still before but, the ceremony?
0: I think I think I think it's still before the, the ceremony. I think we're. Um, a couple weeks uh, before the ceremony. Okay. So it's uh,
1: so he doesn't yet. He, then.
0: he doesn't yet. He's in the process.
1: Right. Well, when he got that Jedi Master, uh, what was it Great Storm? I think it was. Um,
0: yeah. Loden Great Storm. Yeah.
1: When he got him, like there was definitely this vibe like his family had dealt with Jedi before, which is where I lean towards. You know, if if he was one of the two... Of You know, many of the two, because we don't know how many groups of two there were from Bane to Palpatine. But if he was one of those, whether he be the Sith Master or just the Sith Apprentice at this time, I kind of almost make more sense for him to be the Apprentice because the Master could put him out there more. You know, like if he gets struck down, while it was just my Apprentice. Um, but if that's the case, I, I definitely would feel like, you know, they're they're more of a threat. But without that, that's all my speculation, right? But if you take that out, I'm like, what is what about the Nihil? Or such a threat to the? I just don't see that yet. Um, and the only way I can is to is to tie him to the Sith. And I, I do that also because you know you think about the the Dringer in this book. The only people that were able to contain him were the Sith. I feel like. I feel like that there is some importance here. I feel like that the only way we're going to contain these things in the box is by getting the Sith involved. And I feel like the only way to do that is to have someone that's a Sith. And if Marky on is that, then it's like, well, how do we get him to the point where, you know, he basically pulls the venom with Spider-Man to go up against carnage kind of thing. <laughs> like, when are we going to have the team up here? It's got to happen.
0: <laughs> uh, so I see, I see the Nile using the drain gear against the Republic. As kind of like redirecting them as a tool, it will backfire on them. Mm-hmm. But I see them trying to use that. Like clearly, you have this tool, and if you can redirect it where you want it, it will help your cause. Um, so that's kind of kind of where I'm leaning towards with, what's going to go. Regardless of Sith aspects or not right. Sith aspect, this is this is what your the, the the future plans. But I think we're going to get a lot more we still have years of this storyline to go. So uh, we're only three books deep and really they all cover the same exact time period.
1: right? (laughs) Same events really. And you can almost see this being one of those things where, you know, you're not seeing it yet, but we'll see it as it moves forward kind of thing. You're like, well, you know, as they give you a little treat here and there, we may find that this is going to shift in a totally different direction based on book five. You know, (laughs) like (laughs) we're just assuming right now, it almost seems though, like, like, what you describe is kind of what the Jedi did with the Dranger against the Nile. <laughs> like maybe that's where the Nile are like, well, you know, the Jedi were able to quickly get those and, and even the gardening droids, you know, to, to work against them and stuff. Like maybe they do something like that. Uh, I, I just got to say though, I'm excited about the Drenger, especially the idea that they can take over people. Like watching what they did to Dez was, was interesting, but knowing what they've done to skier is terrifying. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I'm enjoying them so far. I'm, I'm interested to see where they get taken in all of this. Cause I can, I can see like they have a lot of potential to wreak havoc.
1: So with that, I think uh, it's a good time to go into the cover and how we'd rate it. Um, the cover on this one is just a, like an action shot. We got what I've assumed to be uh wreath on the front and Affy in the background, um, in the action shot, it looks like she's about to throw a grenade and he's about to defend. I would say, if anything, this has to be in the moment there at the very end when the uh, battle between the Dengar and the Nile and the Jedi are all coming to a conclusion. Um, I recall the scene where Affy takes the grenade out and blows up that one main atrium. So I kind of have a feeling like that's the moment pause. It's got kind of almost a chalk-like look to it where the details and the lines aren't really crisp, but it works. Like, I, I, I kind of like the look of it.
0: Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't stand out to me. It looks like a generic Star Wars
1: cover. <laughs> right, with the, with the classic Golden Age of the Jedi robes that they have, those new ones. Um, I How would I rate this one? If I was to rate this one just of the High Republic books themselves, I think I would probably rate this one the highest of them. Um, out of all the new canon books that are out there, I would say that this one is a pretty high... Uh, it's definitely past the halfway point. I, I think that this book and and its story got me more excited for the potential of this series than any other book has got me excited for potential. Um, so I, I think I'll give it a, a solid seven and a half. um you know, it was contained. I didn't really care for the flashbacks, like you said. Like you could excise those from the book, and it would just work. Um, so I think that's probably the main reason why I'm not going to give it a higher rating. Is only for that. Everything else in the present, I got a kick out of the the way they played with the force and the philosophy, and the way they gave us tidbits about the Jedi Order. Uh, you know, the location of the temple and stuff like that. That was just all awesome cherry on top for me type stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd give it. Um my rating, I, I'd say out of the, the three uh, High Republic books, I, I rated this one the highest. I think this is the one I had the most enjoyment of. And I would say, like, overall, I'd give it probably an 8 out of 10. Um, I really enjoyed the book. Even the parts I didn't like didn't detract enough from it to nice. kind of lower my, my rating. But I would 100% like there there were parts that, like, the, the flashbacks I would have pulled off. There's a definite lag in the middle of the book. Um, and I had uh, one more uh, major. Oh, the the spoiler of the drink gear, but that wasn't that wasn't Claudia Gray's fault whatsoever. <laughs> that was more the PR. It's the Lucasfilm PR department right. that did that.
1: Got them deep. Yeah, that's funny too, because like, you know, the fact that both of us had that same situation. You know, a lot more people probably ran into that same conflict. Like, oh damn it, why would they go on to Star .dot com today? <laughs> well, it's like you're talking
0: about. Uh, This evil plant is going to be one of your main villains. And then you're reading a story where they're going to a space station that is surrounded by plants. Wait a second. Right. An evil plant is one of your villains and you're on a space station
1: surrounded by plants. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> it's funny. The plants are the bad guys, right? <laughs> even, even Disney under Marvel had the 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 foresight to be like, all right, Tom, you're about to give the trailer for Spider Man. Let's point out that you might not want to watch this if you haven't seen the end of Endgame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, where is that? So, Spoiler warning.
0: <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, I I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was a lot of fun. I listened to the audio book. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to have to I'm, listen
1: I'm, to that with the whole Matthew McConaughey aspect because I did not yeah. – I missed that. I didn't catch that ever. And now that you say that looking back on the character, I'm like – Oh my god, like it totally there were moments where he definitely was channeling the uh uh Sahara version of Dirk uh that he played in uh in that Sahara movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. It it was a lot of fun and Claudia Gray, she's more hit than miss and even like the ones that I didn't enjoy as much of hers were still some of the better books like bloodline yeah it's not one of my favorites but it was good lost stars is definitely one of my favorites as i know you and nate had talked about before i agree 100 percent with that master apprentice is one of my favorites in the new canon and that's all her and so this is kind of she's she's a fantastic writer and i'd um I, i'd like to see where she where she goes next
1: in the high republic
0: i'm not uh sure exactly which one she's taking on next
1: yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I would, I would say easily Claudia Gray is the equivalent of what Timothy Zahn did for Legends, um, with her writing. Her books have that same kind of you got to check this book out. Um, and like, and like you said, like I, I too would say Bloodline is probably one of her weaker ones. And and that's that's giving it a down service. I mean, Bloodline did a lot for Leia's character. Uh, you know, great story in and of that star Wars. Leia is is another one that I haven't finished. I haven't gotten through that one yet, so I I can't really say on that, but master apprentice loved it. Lost stars. I would say is probably the best uh, one. Um, And then princess of Alderaan. I haven't read that one either. So, I mean, I've got to get into more of her stuff, but she's definitely been writing stuff in a way that the characters come to life in a way that more of the newer authors aren't capturing. Like, I'm just finishing up with uh, Victory's Price by Alexander Freed, and he's thrown out so many characters, but it's been hard catching and latching on to any of them. In fact, I think the only reason why I like Victory's Price more than the other two books is because this book made it more clear that Hera played a bigger role in things and so I started to look at the third book as Hera's story and I'm like, okay, I can get into it for that, but that's mostly because everything I know about Hera from the T V shows. Like I so to get an author that really gets into these characters and stuff and, and flushes them out in a way that makes them feel refreshing. Like I want to see what she can do with some of the characters that I love more. I mean she's doing a great job with new characters. Um and we know she's done good with Leia, but I almost want to see her doing a Ray post uh episode nine story. Like, oh that'd be that'd be my jam.
0: Yeah, so um, what you're saying, Leia, uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan. You, you had mentioned it as two different books. Ah. Leia, Princess of Alderaan is the, is one book. That's just the subtitle for it. And our next um, set of novels for Light of the Jedi, uh, or sorry, the High Republic, um, she's not doing one of the next set. So we have oh. the adult novel is by Kevin Scott, okay. which is The Rising Storm. Um, the young adult, like we talked to, uh, Justina Ireland, Into the Dark. And then the middle grade is Race to Crash Point Tower, and that's by Daniel Jose Older. Oh, nice. So two of those are the comic artists, or comic authors um, for the High Republic uh, doing um, the books, which uh, I know Daniel Jose Older is generally a book author. Right. Not much. He, this is his first comic series, so he's uh,
1: And Calvin Scott, I've, this is his first actual book, right? Like an adult book.
0: Kevin Scott is all over the place. Like he? he? He wrote the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost. He has written books. He has written comics. Um, he is one of the most prolific Star Wars authors currently because um, he is just literally everywhere. He's also writing um, the audio, the next audio drama that got announced, but I don't remember what it is off the top of
1: my head. Hmm. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I, I recognized him from the kids, a uh, couple kids' works that he had done. Yes. Y-
0: yes. He had written, um, oh, the, oh, I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head, but I really enjoyed them. They were, if I, I'll look it up right this second um, Adventures in Wild Space. Mm uh, they were the, the books released in the UK initially. It took them forever to get out to, to the US. Right. Um, but he took the characters from Adventures in Wild Space, which is during the dark times between three and four, and then used one of their descendants as the framing character around his um, work in the um, Star Wars Adventures comic line from IDW and like those stories, were they are kid stories geared towards kids. But I loved the framing characters that he kept bringing back, the Graf family. And so I, I've greatly enjoyed a lot of his stuff. I like his. He's writing the High Republic um, Marvel series now with Skier and stuff. And so his, um, I'm I'm enjoying uh, his work. And so he's generally been uh, more hit than miss, from what I can tell.
1: Nice. I do like the idea that they're letting them do the different medias because I, you know, sometimes you find out like, hey, this guy really does a good job over here. Like, I mean, I was impressed just seeing Charles Schulz's first book. Like it was, uh, you know, the more I the more I'm pausing and, and looking back on things, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling like maybe Charles is the one that didn't interpret things the way everyone else did. But I. I don't know. As that progresses, that opinion is changing. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So Kevin Scott, I mentioned he was doing the audio drama. It's called Tempest Runner, and it's um, f- focusing on Lorna D,
1: mm. who's
0: uh, one of the uh, the, the Niles.
1: The, she was a yeah Tempest one runner. of the.
0: She was one of the, the the second second the second one of the three below the uh, yeah before the below the eye yeah she, on.
1: She's one of the three Tempest Runners. Um. He had three of them, and they each had their own Tempest. And, yeah, she was yeah. She was actually – I enjoyed her the most of the three of those. She seemed to, like yeah, to be okay. the most badass of them.
0: Yeah, so of the three, one is killed in Light of the Jedi, so we don't know if he will be replaced. Um, uh, Cassiv? Is that who? Yeah. I think Cassiv was the one who was killed. But, yeah, that should be interesting.
1: Which, actually, that's kind of cool, though, because, I mean, the fact that she is the Tempest Runner and they name it after her, like, I, I'm, maybe that'll be the book that gives us the real big bad of that group because <laughs> I'm still waiting for that. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Kasav. Kasav Milka was the one that died, and Pan Ida is the other one that's still alive.
0: Yeah, yeah, so we're down to two who we don't know what's going to happen with the Nile in general. Their, their political
1: structure may be in uh, turmoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I honestly, I'm looking at the picture of Lorna D here that, since I pulled it up, and I'm like, oh, that's. I I don't know why I thought she was a human, <laughs> a Twi'lek with a massive helmet on, and she almost looks like she's got like a uh, alien xenomorph like on her chest. Like <laughs> she does look creepy. I think,
0: yeah, they probably called her out as a Twi'lek in of the Jedi, because she was one of the major characters, but I don't remember really anything about her. Right. Because Cassif was such the focus of attention in that book.
1: Right, right. Yeah, he definitely did. Uh, well, my man, anything else on Into the Dark before we uh, go into the closing?
0: I, no, I, I think, uh, like I said, I, I greatly enjoyed the book. I liked uh, the way that uh, Grey writes her characters, and I liked the uh, that uh, I'd like to see where things are going to go from here.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. we
0: finally move forward in time with the next series of novels. (laughs) The
1: push! The push is here. Yeah, and in fact, I'm curious as to, as each group comes out, if they're going to do like these first few books did around the disaster, if there'll be like some kind of main event that the next ones kind of overlap with, and then we'll get another one with like a main event kind of thing. It's a definitely you could go that route or you could go something along the New Jedi Order route where it was just the time frame. And it was like, okay, now we're into this month. Now we're into this month. Now we're into this month. I almost get the feeling like this story might do some bigger jumping so they can kind of tell more of the era and flesh the era out and then go back and tell smaller stories that fill in the gaps. Maybe.
0: Release-wise, they're doing the exact same thing. So for the the first series of novels, the adult novel and the middle grade novel, the top and bottom, essentially, Mm. if you will, um, were released on the same exact day. Mm. And then the young adult, the middle one, was released a month later. They're doing that again. Interesting. Um, The adult novel and the middle grade novel is again being released at the end of June on the same day. And then the, the young adult novel, I think, is being released about a month later.
1: Huh. Oh, that'll be cool. Look forward to it. We'll watch your progress with great interest.
0: See what you did there.
1: (laughs) now that about wraps up this episode of stars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on zoom stitcher as well as spotify and even on itunes and as always we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar no matter how you get to though be sure to like our Facebook page it's literally the best way to interact with us it's our own home one, if you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at SW Beyond Films at Star Wars fanworks.com now last Lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what it's all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the canon universe, the Legends universe, or even a Harry Potter universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat-out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one whole year with no questions asked. Like, they don't even care if you don't like it. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making a switch from the book to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler.
0: And Jim. And, of course, Porgy, my mug.
1: (laughs) Saying thanks for listening, and
0: may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that one of the Jedi turns around to the drinker and goes, No, you don't eat us. We eat you. You are salad.
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh God! Could you imagine a Jedi going dark side and doing that? Like, no, no, I'm I'm gonna eat your arm, then I'm gonna eat the leg, then I'm gonna eat half your face, your face!
0: <laughs> you know what your weakness is? Ranch dressing.
1: <laughs> oh, croutons! You're all doomed. We found croutons. <laughs>
0: I got oh, bakos here. Yeah, it's not real food, but it's it'll work in a
1: pinch. <laughs> I I just want to see the Drenger get an army of Jedi that are all swayed to their side. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I want to see Jedi versus uh, you know it's, it's the purple Smurf all over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh.
0: that's I yeah I just I got nothing.
1: <laughs> you can always direct. Oh, I like reading three different lines at once. You can always email us directly at w. What in the hell? Hold on, Jim. I can do this. Let me take a drink. I'm good. I'm good.
0: I, I have no doubts. Well, I have some doubts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're like you still should have recorded this already. <laughs> <laughs> I do need to get this pre canned.
0: It's only been years. Like uh, I mean, right? Really.
1: Right? <laughs> every time i i i upload an episode i have to change the 2016 under the metadata <laughs> uh